What is going on, guys? Hey, it is Anthony, and it is the weekend. Why, uh, here on the Culture Jack Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today, guys. We have some news in the movie world, so you're going to want to stick around and check this one out. Uh, before I dive in, though, as always, hey, guys, take a moment, hit that follow button, subscribe button. We're on a ton of YouTube platter YouTube. Say that. We're on a ton of podcast platforms. And we've got a ton of content coming to include some really cool uh, special things that are going to be dropping here in the near future. You're not going to want to miss. I don't know why I just went country on you. Anyways, let's get into some news, shall we? We're going to kick today's episode off with a little bit of a little tidbit that uh, came across the news desk here. The, the weekend wire desk uh, yesterday. Russo brothers step away from Netflix Magic the Gathering series. So for those that don't know, Magic the Gathering, which is a huge <laughs> fucking phenomenon in the, uh, I don't even know what you refer to it as because it's not trading cards. It's like a tabletop card game that that has been around for a long time. And has had just an incredible life and continues to just blow up. People are loving it. You can get their cards pretty much from anywhere. But that's not, we're not talking about the cards. We're talking about the show. Netflix picked up the IP a while back. And if you're not familiar with the Russo brothers, these guys did a couple of small movies you maybe heard of, like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. Maybe you didn't hear of those movies. They're also tied to the Gray Man movie that's coming. Anyways, they were attached to the animated adaptation of the classic trading card game, Magic the Gathering, for Netflix. However, as of today, which today in this sense was August 20th, the Russo brothers have now been revealed to have moved on from the project with a new notable lead taking over. So revealed in a new report from Deadline, Jeff Klein, who has previously worked on the Transformers Prime series, will be helming Magic the Gathering moving into the future. According to the report, the Russos and other members of the writing team said to have left working on the series a while back. The divorce was one that was said to be friendly. However, with Netflix then opting to obviously move this and bring in Klein to work on the project. Joining Klein will be the likes of Steve Melching, Adu Padin, Izzy Madrano, Nicole Dubuk, Russell Sumner, Dan Frey, and Tanika Stotts. Uh, talk, uh, talking about the process of taking the reins from the Russos, Klein shared in a new quote today that he is thankful to be, to the directing duo for involving him on the Magic the Gathering series to begin with. I'm grateful to the Russos for bringing me into the world of Magic the Gathering, specifically over dinner at one of their go-to-Cleveland restaurants. Magic is one of those rare intellectual properties with such a wellspring of mythology that picking and choosing is half the battle. That's uh, that's going to be a or could be a pretty big thing because of the following. It's just it's crazy. In addition to the quote from Klein, Netflix and Wizards of the Coast, which is the owner of the Magic the Gathering IP, commented, 
on this transition, while the Russo brothers are no longer part of the animated series, their passion for the game combined with their near, their early creative perspective and input helped us shape the project to a place where we believe fans of the game and those new to the gaming, new to the gaming, new to the gathering universe will enjoy the series and discover what millions of fans around the globe have known for the past 25 years. Both enemies, enemies, entities said in a joint statement. I mean, so it sounds like it was a uh, shared transition, so there's no hard feelings on either. The Russo brothers, those guys are juggernauts in the space. I mean, bringing IPs or being attached to an IP like Magic the Gathering, which is huge and has such a hell of a following. Um, but also the Russo brothers, I mean, these guys did Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Endgame and, and other movies, and they're on the slate for so many great movies. I mean, them alone is is massive, but an IP like Magic the Gathering, man, oh man. Anyways, Jeff Klein sounds like he could be the right guy for the job, and uh, we'll have to see. An animated series could be pretty awesome, especially for Netflix. It gives them a, a, a I guess, a very broad IP with huge, huge and almost endless supplies of characters, creatures, and everything of the like, so... I had to drink some coffee. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see what comes in that world to Netflix. All right, let's keep going. This next one, hey, we're following up on something I talked about, uh, I believe, in the last episode. August 21st, 2021, 612, 612 a.m. Eric Gardner reports on The Hollywood Reporter. Disney makes first move in Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow suit. And I'm not talking about her outfit. I'm talking about that crazy deal between Scarlett Johansson and Disney. Um, Disney is demanding that Scarlett Johansson's suit over the Black Widow may be moved to arbitration. The filing came near midnight on Friday evening in a Los Angeles Superior Court. The company has also revealed that on August 10th, it's initiated arbitration against her. In her complaint, Johnson alleges her contract was breached when the superhero film was released, which is Black Widow, of course. The actress earns bonuses when Black Widow reaches certain box office performance markers, and she accused Disney of not having the film exclusively in theaters because it saw the opportunity to pro promote the flagship subscription service. Importantly, the deal of Johansson's services came from Marvel, not Disney. She's alleging that Disney, Disney, induced its subs, uh, subsidiary Marvel to breach the contract. But while Johansson isn't directly suing Marvel, Disney attorneys Daniel Petrosili and Lee Gadeski, those, those sound like high-paid lawyers. I'm just going to throw that out there. This sounds, that sounds like those are those dudes that are on retainer for like a thousand bucks an hour. Um, tell the court that an arbitration provision in the contract between Johansson uh, loan out and Marvel applies anyways. The plain and expansive language of the arbitration agreement easily encompasses Periwinkle's complaint states a motion to compel arbitration in a futile effort to evade the unavoidable result the and generate public, you know, publicity through the public filing. Periwinkle excluded Marvel as a party to this lawsuit. Substituting and said its parent company, Disney, under contract interference theories. But longstanding principles do not permit 
such gamesmanship. That's a good word. I'm going to have to say that does not show gamesmanship. Uh, The move to push arbitration isn't unexpected. And while Disney's papers detail for the first time the exact language of arbitration provision, see here, we're not going to go into that. Um, But what we we will go into is, for example, Disney says that Black Widow was put on more than 9,000 screens in the U.S., allegedly satisfying its obligation, the film scream on no less than 1,500 against Johansson's asserts to be exclusive, which 9,000 screens, that's a lot of theaters. According to the latest filing as of August 15th, Black Widow has grossed. This is crazy to me. This was really the reason why I wanted to bring up this article. Black Widow has grossed more than 367 million in worldwide box office receipts and more than 125 million in streaming and download retail. That's big money, man. Disney compares the Black Widow release to other films in the Marvel canon, saying that opening weekend take was more than that of many other Marvel Cinematic Universe films to include Thor, The Dark World, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and Wasp, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Notwithstanding the picture's impressive pandemic-era showing and discussion to credit a Periwinkle with streaming and downloads, Periwinkle was dissatisfied. Oh, my thing just uh, by the motion pictures. Anyways, long story short, that's where this thing is heading. I didn't realize how well this movie is doing. And I also didn't realize it got released to 9,000 screens, but now we know. And that was 9,000 screens in the U.S., to be clear. And uh, collectively, between the uh, streaming downloads and purchases and the 9,000 screens showing, this movie is doing very well. Pandemic-wise, it's got to be breaking many, many records. And it's got to be very, very close, if not past that $500 million collective market in which is incredible guys. I think, I think that's incredible. So again, uh, I'm not sure where the suit's going to go, but they want to take it to arbitration. They want it out of the public eye. And I think that's definitely the right thing to do. I also think that, uh, in, in, from my observation of what I've read, right, I'm not involved in this one iota. And really I don't care other than it sucks to see, the decision made this way, and then she's going to lose potential for uh, her and her her character and, and kind of her future with Disney and Marvel kind of dwindled away. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. This next one is pretty cool news. Um, so I came about I came about this in uh, from a couple different areas in the media spotlight on YouTube, and then I uh, read a couple of articles. But we're going to use the Variety article. Uh, to discuss it. So Black Panther 2 will introduce Ironheart star Dominique Thorne ahead of Disney Plus show. And if you're not familiar, that's Riri Williams, folks. So Dominique Thorne, who will star in the superhero Ironheart in her own Disney Plus series, will make her Marvel Cinematic Universe debut in Black Panther Wakanda forever next year, which is huge news. Big time. That's big time because... If you're not familiar, Riri Williams, the comic book character, is essentially geared up to take on the Ironheart role, which is essentially going to take on the Tony Stark Cap America. I almost said Tony Stark Captain America. Tony Stark Iron Man role, 
which is big. I mean, that's that's a big shift, and it's going to start her launch is in Wakanda forever, which is Black Panther 2, which also has a lot of hype around it and also has a lot of people concerned, like, how are they going to transition? How are they going to do this? And obviously, guys, you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. What, what the, those shoes will never be filled. And uh, as a believer in Disney and the Kevin Feige way, I don't think their intent is to fill or even directly re- replace T'Challa, the character, or Chadwick Boseman, the actor. Uh, I think they've got a very, very nice way of transitioning the IP in a different direction because they have to. I mean, you you just do. So we'll see. More to come. Anyways, Riri Williams is jumping in sooner than expected, which is exciting. I'm stoked for that. All right. This next tidbit, I didn't even realize this thing was a... Uh, was a big uh, a big thing running its course until I uh, until I watched some shit on YouTube and I was like, no way, because I heard about this. I've heard about it and I want to share it with you. We're in this news from the Nerdist, and that is everything we need to know about the Toxic Avenger reboot. That's right, you heard me right, Toxic Avenger reboot. Long before Marvel and DC movies were the rage, independent pioneers Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz gave us a 98-pound weakling who transformed, oh, excuse me, transformed into the first superhero from New Jersey, the toxic Avenger, stormed onto the scene in 1984 and brought it with trauma's trademark combination, a combination, combination of over-top violence and gore and a slapstick comedy, thus creating an empire. A big studio remake was banded about uh, for many years. In 2018, Legendary Entertainment officially set forth with a new take on an unlikely hero with Kaufman and Hearst producing. Here's everything you need to know. Who or what exactly is a toxic? We're not going to go into that. What I want to go into, who will star? That's what I want to go into. If you guys want to find out more about Toxic Avenger, you can watch the original movie if you'd like. You can pick up the comic books. There's tons of stuff on this character. In December of 2020, Peter Dinklage, I love this dude. You know who Peter Dinklage is? Come on. I, I don't have to explain it. Do I got to go uh, down a Game of Thrones path with you? No? Okay, good. Uh, so Peter Dinklage joined the cast of the reboot of Toxic himself. Acting opposite of Dinklage as the film's female lead, we have Taylor Page, co-star of Zola and Maya Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Jacob Tremblay will also play a supporting part. But perhaps the most exciting in the casting of the films is the villain, Kevin Bacon. Star of the screen and unlikely focus on every film's nerd favorite way to pass the time on a bus. will play the heavy. Days later, Deadline also reported, (laughs) check this out. I mean, it just keeps going, guys. Elijah Wood and comedic actress Julia Davis have also joined the cast in undisclosed roles. However, Legendary has yet to announce details of his nefarious character. So, a stacked cast, a crazy classic uh, character with not a lot of information. I did uh, I did recently watch a video, actually I watched a video this morning because I was interested and I knew I was going to talk about it, that there was news that this is fu- wrapping up filming this is crazy this is like a left fielder guys 
I mean, you got you got Peter Dinklage, Elijah Wood, Kevin Bacon. You've got like my goodness, Julia Davis, uh, man, Taylor Page. I mean, we could be in for some crazy left field kind of stuff here. And it's brought to you by Legendary Legendary Man. I mean, like, wow. I love it. I love it, guys. What do you think? Drop a comment down below. I'm excited. And uh, I'm excited in one hand and mystified in the other. Like, what is this shit? (laughs) What are we going to deal with? Is it going to be epic, funny, crazy? I think that's the route they're going to go. Hopefully it's not going to be. I I can't see them going in like a dramatic, serious kind of show. Or I wouldn't suspect. I could be wrong. I'm not working on the movie. So I don't know. So. We'll have to see what comes. I would expect some uh, trailers to drop sometime soon. Let's go into the next one, shall we? Did you guys catch that uh, new Internals trailer? You like that? I asked the question, get a drink of coffee. It's a two for one for me. All right. So if you guys didn't, you guys got to check this out. So, so freaking excited uh, to finally see it because in my opinion, the first trailer or two trailers where this cinematic kind of landscape, uh, semi-dramatic kind of scene shots and a couple funny scenes, but nothing, nothing that showed you the characters, nothing that made you feel like you got to go watch this movie. But now, oh, now we got, we got it all guys. And this may be the last trailer. I don't know. Because, and I'm going to talk about Shang-Chi in a minute, but I thought we got all of the Shang-Chi shit a few weeks ago with the last air quote trailer, but now they're dropping snippets on Instagram. I'm like, hot damn, man. These guys are building Shang-Chi up. Are we going to see the same for Eternals? I would bet we will. So in the new Eternals, we see the characters, uh, the main characters of the Eternals film. And we also see some of the bad guys and we see just so much. It's Man, it's got me excited. So what I thought was, why not try to find something that kind of details or gives us a better idea of what these characters are about? Now, while searching and looking at different articles, there's ones that were like going to blow out the plot points. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. In fact, I didn't even want to read that article. And I didn't. I read several others. So we landed on this one. And that's from Entertainment Weekly. Meet the Eternals, a guide to Marvel's 10 newest heroes. We have Gamma Chan, good old Richard Madden, everybody's favorite Angelina Jolie, the classic and beautiful Selma Hayek, Kumail Najajani, which I probably fucked his name up, I apologize, and more breakdown in the article, uh, in Damn, I messed that one up in the immortal characters. Anyways, there's a bunch. We're going to go into a bunch to include. We've, yes, we, we're not fitching, we're not forgetting about some of these other guys. Okay. So, first, let's start off with Cersei, played by Gemma Chan. Much of the eternal story centers around Cersei, who has the ability to manipulate non sentient matter. She can change things. Okay. She's sort of helped humanity along the way in little ways, Chan explains. Unlike some of the Eternals, Cersei has a real love and respect for humanity. And in the respect or in the present day, she's working as a museum curator and dating a human, Dane Whitman, played by Game of Thrones. Kid Harrington. 
She also has a long romantic history with Richard Madden's character, Icarus. More on him below. Oh, we're going to talk Icarus here in a minute. Um, She's interesting because she is this immortal being. But she's very grounded as well, Chan says. She's a little bit of a free spirit and just loves being amongst the humans. Um, Interestingly, this isn't Chan's first appearance in the Marvel movie. She previously starred in 2019's Captain America as Star Force sharpshooter Min Avara. The obvious difference is that I didn't have to do four hours every morning getting the blue makeup on, she says with a laugh. I have to say that that was somewhat of a relief. Uh, Okay, let's go into Icarus, Richard Madden. Madden's Icarus is one of the most powerful Eternals with the ability to fly and shoot beams of light out of his eyes. Hot damn, Icarus. (laughs) He has a special connection with Cersei, but they don't necessarily see eye to eye on their approach toward humanity. Still, they have a complicated on again and off again relationship that stretched throughout the centuries. There's a deep level of romance in the two or with the two. And it's been around for thousands of years and yet still choose each other. For the Game of Thrones alumni, one of the biggest challenges of playing the immortal superhero was figuring out how he's evolved over the last 7,000 years. I had to work out how to do, uh, how to play someone who's seen everything and done everything, Madden explains. How do you play them to not be bored of everything? Because you've seen it and done it. That's a good point. And that's also cool that he mentioned that. The next guy on the list is Kingo Camille Najami. Nanajami. I fucked his name up. I'm sorry, dude. And I love this dude. Uh, If you haven't seen him in Silicon Valley, that was my first time seeing him. And I absolutely loved him. If you're not familiar, uh, Camille got shred, fucking shredded for this. Absolutely. So shredded. That if you didn't see the uh, news clip, he was posted on Pornhub as one of the pictures for, uh, I, I I can't recall, I think it was like Men for Men or something. And because they posted his picture of his shredded, chiseled body, he got like a 10-year subscription to Pornhub. And I thought that was funny. All because he was getting jacked for this. And he is. He looks excellent. Great job on his part. Let's go into his character, Kingo. Most of the other Eternals have tried to stay under the radar through the centuries, but Kingo has done the opposite, making a living as a Bollywood star. As an, That's actually kind of cool. As an Eternal, he has also has seen the power to manipulate energy with his hands. He trained extensively to get his superhero shape, and he did. I mean, if you watch the videos and the photos, I mean, it was fucking awesome to see him. And also to capture Kingo's joyful, effortless fight style. He went back and watched old Errol Flynn movies and some of the original Zora uh, films. Just a lot of old school Hollywood stars whose characters really enjoyed fighting, he explains. But his perhaps his biggest challenge was preparing for a scene when Kingo performs an elaborate Bollywood dance number. I'm not a dancer, Najani admits. I have zero rhythm. I had to take months and months of classes to do this. So it was very challenging, but I know that if we could pull this off and capture the joy and excitement of the Bollywood dance number in a Marvel movie, that would be special. 
because I grew up watching Bollywood movies. I knew every Bollywood movie until it was like the late nineties. So to be able to do a homage to the genre of movies that I loved and grew up watching was very special, which is, that is cool. I mean, you generally don't get a lot of those types of comments and, and dialogue for the actors themselves. Everybody wants to know about the character, but so far these guys are doing a very good, very good job. And that's entertainment's work, I guess. Next character on the list is Sprite Leah McHugh. Leah Leah McHugh. McHugh's Sprite may look like a look like a preteen, but like the other Eternal, she's actually thousands of years old. Guys, I sort of related to her uh, in the way that I lived my whole life because I look younger than I am. The fifteen-year-old McHugh says, "I really related to her in a way, and in wanting to grow up a little bit, but being." Stuck in a way. McHugh, known for her roles in Totem and The Lodge, adds that she treated her time on the Eternals set as a masterclass in acting, trying to absorb as much as she could from her elder co-stars. She also took the opportunity to try many stunts as she could toward the beginning of the filming. And I was in the harness doing the crazy choreographed stunt scene. And I just remember thinking, wow. My brothers are going to think I'm so cool, she says with a laugh. It was just cur- it was just a crazy moment because I've never done any stunt work like this before. And it just all hit me at once. How insane all of this is. That's awesome. Um, that is, I, I like, uh, you know, to hear a story from a young person in the industry really, really getting her eyes open by a juggernaut film like The Eternals, I believe is going to be. That's cool. Uh, Fatos, Fastos or Fastos. I'm fucking this name up too. Brian Tyree Henry, the Atlanta star, the Atlantic actor stars as Fatos, a brilliant inventor with a mind for creating weapons and technology. You always need one of those guys. Like there has to be this kind of guy on the team. I never in a million years thought I'd be a part of the MCU. Henry, Henry says, I have always been a huge fan I've been obsessed with the concept of superheroes and the concept of man, mankind needing saving. And I think when you get these groups of people together who just have these intimate senses of superpowers and saving humanity, it's something that we all kind of need. It literally brings everyone together regardless of where you're from. I'm still freaking out that I'm a part of it. That's awesome, though. I mean, a fan of a fan of a fan. And now he's a part of uh, a huge movie. It's also been rumored that Henry's character is openly gay and married with a family, which would make him one of Marvel's cinematic universe's first confirmed LGBT superheroes. Next on our list is Makara, Lauren Ridloff. To play the super fast eternal Makara Ridloff, known from The Walking Dead, folks, uh, threw herself into training. Just not the kind of training she was expecting. The ironic part about it was when I started training for the role, I was told, stop running, she says, laughing. I was like, excuse me, stop running? Really, what they wanted to do was to focus on building the symmetry of somebody who looks like a sprinter. And they tend to be a little bit more muscular. So I focused on mostly on building muscle, especially legs, Makira. 
is also the first death hero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Ridloff says she's particularly excited for the audience to see a deaf actress in a major heroic role. It makes so much sense to have this diversity and representation in the MCU because the MCU is offering the world is amazing, Ridloff says. They're offering a way for us to hope, to be able to get up and keep going and fight for what's important. More and more people are starting to see themselves in that universe, and that's powerful. The next character is Droog, Barry Kagan. <laughs> Damn, these names are getting difficult. I'm just going to start, start saying Barry K. All right. The Irish K, known for his roles in Dunkirk and the killing of the sacred deer, plays Droog, an eternal with the ability to manipulate other people's thoughts. You need one of those guys in the MCU too. Damn, they're hitting on, they're going to have coverage for everything. So I was the last one to get in into costume. He recalls on his first day on set, when I arrived, put it on for the first time, and it was kind of nice to walk outside and see the rest of the cast reaction. They were like, whoa, it's a weird feeling to see yourself like that. As soon as you put on the boots and on your, your posture transforms, you definitely notice how your whole demeanor and everything just changes. Droog is a loaf, a bit of a loner, but in real life, Kay quickly hit it off with his co-stars which is obviously important. Barry can get very nervous at the beginning, right before shooting. Some hike recalls, I would run lines with him. And then he's like, uh, oh, oh no, I'm not going to be able to do this. I thought to myself, this is not going to be good. We're on our way onto set. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was like possession. And he gets in and it's pure brilliance. There's something savage about him. He's incredible. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's a really cool thing. Oh, shit. Now we got Gilgamesh, Don Lee. Korean actor Lee describes Gilgamesh as extremely powerful and the strongest warrior of the Eternals. His protective, he's protective over his family and humans, and he has a solid, dependable character that serves his team in battle. Lee explains... At the same time, he's a funny guy with a sense of humor. He has a deep connection with Angelina Jolie's Thena, and he prefers to use his fists in battle, often taking out enemies with a single punch. That fit me perfectly because I'm a longtime boxer myself for over 30 years since I was a kid. Lee adds, Gilgamesh's action is based on boxing, so I could add real boxing moves in. Now we're on to... Ajak, Sama Hayek. Hayek wasn't sure what to expect when Marvel reached out to her and said they wanted her. They wanted to meet her about a potential project. But when she found out that Zhao was involved, she immediately said, yes, I was shocked, she remembers. Imagine in your 50s to get a call from the director that you're crazy about, who says, you're going to be a superhero. Hayek immediately fell in love with the character of Ajak, the eternal stoic and powerful leader who also has the ability to heal. The character was originally written as a man in the comics 
And in early conversation with Zhao, it was Hayek who suggested leaning into her femininity and approaching her as the mother figure of the group. She's full of contradictions. The actress says she's the bridge between the Eternals and the Celestials. And it's never easy to hold the two sides together. Athena, Angelina Jolie. Jolie is certainly no, no stranger to blockbuster projects, but even she was surprised by the scale of Eternals. It's certainly the biggest thing I've ever done, she says. As somebody who has, who's directed to watch the production, try to manage it, it was a huge thing to take on. The acrobatic Thena is one of the group's elite warriors, and she can manifest weapons out of thin air. To prepare, Jolie undertook ballet training to capture her effortless grace, as well as teaching herself how to use various weapons, most of which were added in digitally in post-production. It is one of the weirdest things to train because, <laughs> this, this is kind of crazy, uh, for because you're throwing things, grabbing things, breaking things in half, she explains, you feel a little nuts. You're just throwing your hand out there and thinking, is that a sword? Is that a spear? Is it a lasso? What am I doing? And then you get into it and it's really fun, but it's a puzzle. I would imagine. Oh, they didn't even. So we'll have to see. I guess Kit Harrington's Kit Harrington's uh, character didn't make the top 10. Anyways, guys, that's the list so far. That was a bit longer than I had anticipated, but nonetheless, that should hopefully um, give you a little bit better understanding. If you have not seen the Eternals trailer, if you have, now you know. We don't got a ton more news for you, so that's okay. We finally got this. Uh, both Dustin and I talked about this via telly, and we were concerned, okay, because we saw the new Venom trailer, Let There Be Carnage. Now, it's been controversial. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, read reviews. Some people hate the way the Carnage looks. They hate the, the relationship. They hate this. They dislike that. I like it. Um, because it's different. And I think that that is the thing that may be tipping people in one way or the other, and, and rightfully so, I guess. But the thing that stood out to me, aside from enjoying the trailer, was where the hell was the release date? There wasn't one. Well, recently, we got an update. So Sony pushed its theatrical release, and this is from Polygon, uh, for its Venom movie sequel, previously slated for September 24th, release Venom, Let There Be Carnage, will not be in theaters October 15th, Sony Pictures announced on Thursday. This marks the third time the movie's release has been pushed. Originally, the sequel was slated for October 2020 before being bumped into June 2021 because of COVID-19 concerns. And then September, Sony is committed to keeping the theatrical release for this film in October. The movie is to follow up the Venom movie, which we saw before, where we have Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy, and his new symbiote friend, and we're obviously getting uh, Cletus Cassidy, or in this case, I think, I don't know if it's a typo or why did they put Cletus Kennedy, Woody Harrelson? I think that's a typo. I don't know. There is no word on what this means for other Sony movies such as Morbius and whatnot, because Morbius still has a slated date of January 21st, 2022, but we'll have to see. So there's the release date for Venom. I just, I had to share that because I know all of you are sitting there like, is this guy going to talk about the uh, Venom release date or what? Because we've been sitting here waiting for it. Um, 
And I don't know what happened to my other article here. And I've been talking so long, I forgot. So we talked about, uh, let's see, The Eternals, which is coming in November. Shang-Chi has had early premieres. And I have to say, I'm not going to talk. I haven't heard anybody talk specifically about the movie, in which I hope there is some kind of agreement in play to where they can't give details. I think there is when you go to those pre-screenings, like you have to sign a uh, non-disclosure, like don't talk about this shit until release day or beyond. And the good thing about that is, though, I have seen shit, probably a dozen people, their reaction saying this movie is incredible. I am excited for Chang Chi, all the characters and everything that are coming in it. And it's coming soon. September 3rd is the release date. I will hopefully find myself in a theater shortly after, if not on the third, maybe the second that the, they do that early release watching this movie. So that's super exciting. Still continuing to watch Titan season three. Red Hood, it is just a wild show. It really is. So if you guys aren't caught up on that or don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. Titans, it's on HBO. Max Doom Patrol will be joining in next month, which is awesome too. And uh, to wrap this up, I did watch a new movie yesterday on Netflix. Yeah, it was I'm pretty sure it was Netflix called Sweet Girl. It was starring Jason Momoa as the main character and it's a pretty wild movie now you watch the trailer so i watched the trailer and i was like i don't know that i want to watch this because everything that was announced and you got actually you guys need to watch this trailer because it's funny there was a lot of like uh i wouldn't say inappropriate but very very pointed toward momoa as as a person in a probably i would say a quasi-sexual way <laughs> <laughs> and I watched, I'm like, I don't know that I want to watch this movie. Um, anyways, we watched the real trailer on Netflix, not the, not the little, little teaser that I found on the internet, but, uh, it was an okay movie, kind of different. Um, I thought Jason Moa did good. The, the, then I'm going to forget her name, but the actress that's in it as his daughter did well, um, different. Is it a, is it, you know, a run to theater movie. No, that's why it's fucking streaming. Okay. So if, if you're in the mood or need something to watch, you may consider sweet girl. That's what I got guys. I'm, I'm out of juice on this. It was a pretty long, pretty long uh, episode. And the funny part was beforehand, I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be a short episode. But I, I feel like I always say that it ends up being longer. So We'll just end it there, right? The Weekend Wire, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Checking out Culture Jack. Checking out uh, The Weekend Wire and everything else. As always, please hit that subscribe, follow button on our platform here. If you guys are bored or would like to help us out, drop a review on whatever platform you listen into. Generally, you can do that by simply going to the top of the podcast page so you click into culture jack at the very top normally they'll let you do a review there's a little button there you give us five stars it's going to help us grow we would definitely appreciate that and of course feel free to comment down below guys that's it that's all we got thank you so much for tuning in have a great week and we'll catch up with you in the next episode